0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning in the venue. Good to be with you. Uh, those of you, have got some new faces up here. My name is Curtis Barnes. I'm the family discipleship pastor. Been here about seven and a half years. Uh, so I oversee all of our small groups, discipleship ministry, work with our age graded staff. Uh, my wife, Shelley, some of you know, is the women's ministry director here. We've been married 27 years. I have a senior in college, a sophomore in college, and a sophomore in high school. So. We are in the poorhouse right now. I usually tell my kids I'll pay for their tuition and not their gas because it costs less, but I think I may switch that in the fall. Uh, They're on their own for gas, and I'll take take care of school this time. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, and if you've got a pen, pencil handy, some note paper, uh, go ahead and grab that. If you've never preached, preaching as you read the text, sometimes God, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you read a text and a passage and you're like, oh man, there's just stuff that comes alive. And you get all these connection points, these ideas and, and outline forms in your head. And then there are other times, like this week, Pastor Dave said, hey, will you preach? He called me a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh yeah, sure, that will be fine. So I always, you know, anytime Pastor Dave calls, I'm willing to do that. So he said, okay, so I'll send you the text. And he he sends me the text and I open it up and I read Galatians 4, 21 through 31. And I'm a pretty transparent guy. If you've been around me, I'm just kind of kinda put it out there. Sometimes, sometimes Shelly is like, yeah, you're a little too transparent. You can kind of dial that back a little bit. But I read this text and in my brain, this is the literal quote that went through. Oof. It is a... Uh, It was a tough text. So getting in this week, trying to, had to dig in and read and study, really, really work at getting in and kind of of pulling some stuff out. And as I began that process, I thought, man, this is a great week. This is a good opportunity for me as a pastor, the discipleship pastor to share with you one of my biggest passions, uh, one of my my heartbeats in ministry uh, and and something that just wind me up and let me go. And I'm heading that direction. It's this vision, this dream that I have for every person, which would include you who attends Geyer Springs First Baptist Church and particularly who sits in any of our teaching environments in worship, in Sunday school, our D groups, life groups. And that crazy vision is this, that every member is equipped to study the Bible on his or her own. I think believers should be able to feel confident and comfortable to open any book of the Bible and be able to sit and study and read through and God can speak to you directly through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a pastor, a teacher, someone who's put time in, you can do that directly. That's part of the priesthood of the believers. You have access to God, the resource of the Holy Spirit who can guide you and direct you. And I so want people to do that. So let me put it to you this way. How many of you would be comfortable in your level of Bible knowledge and ability to study if I were to assign you a book of the Bible, give you three months, and then say, hey, come back and give me about a 10-minute synopsis? Now, don't raise your hand, but if you could take and study for three months the book of Hezekiah, would you feel comfortable? Would you know where to start and what to do? Now, I ask you not to raise your hand because if you're sitting there going, mm, maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. If you're wrestling with that, you just proved my point on the importance of our Bible knowledge increasing because there is no book of Hezekiah in the Bible. All right? So you're like, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't raise my hand because uh, then my, my, and some of you are elbowing going, I told you there was no book in the Bible that. But there is a book of Colossians. So could you do that with the book of Colossians? Usually when I ask that question, this is kind of what I get. Sunday school teachers, man, like, eh, pretty good. But most people are kind of like, mm, maybe in the hands doing this. It's a possibility, but I'm not real sure. We're just not real comfortable in that. But I believe it's something that God has called every believer to and we should be able to do as we grow in our maturity with this. So I have this, this crazy vision that we'll be able to do that. But to do so, we need like a framework and we need some tools. And so I wanna introduce you to those today because here's what happened. I took this exact process to study this text it wasn't one of these that came quickly i had to work at it and i followed this process that you can follow it's what a pastor does each and every week he reads he studies he prays searches things out puts it together in a presentation and shares it to the congregation as the holy spirit leads and guides and directs him and i want this to be so common i'm working on this with our sunday school leaders with our staff to begin to infuse this in every teaching environment we have in our church i want it to be as common as this if you can finish this phrase righty Lefty Lucy, there you go. I before E, except after C, and all the other times that it doesn't apply, right? For you you grammar nerds who are out there, right? Uh, What about this one? Stop, drop, and roll. Some of you are like, what is that one? I thought I was gonna be on fire a lot more as an adult, as much as we did that when I was in elementary school, you know, doing that. But, you know, we kind of have these phrases. I want believers in this church, if someone says, how do you study the Bible? You'd go, oh, well, you do boom, 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 and you just roll it out there. And you're like, okay, well, well, tell me what those things are. Well, here we go. First thing to understand is this. If you the guiding principle for studying the Bible is to do this under the prayer and the leadership of the Holy Spirit is to ask questions. Ask questions. When you're going to study the Bible, you need to ask questions. Well, why would we ask questions? Do you know everything there is to know about God? Well, there you go. We have to ask questions because we don't know. But listen to what the Bible says about this process. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God said he wants to show us. Jeremiah 29, a couple of chapters before, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And here's what Jesus had to say on the topic ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. So ask lots and lots of questions and the Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you. God wants to reveal things to you. Even though we understand this, we're never going to fully understand or comprehend everything. It's impossible to know the vastness of God but we still we ask questions. So we ask questions on a couple of topics. What are those topics? What's the framework? Here's the first one, context. What's the context of a verse or a passage of Scripture? Questions like, who was the audience? Were they a Jewish audience? Were they a Gentile audience? Where were the people? Were they in slavery? Were they free? Where were they geographically? Where were they in history, in the timeline? Was it before Christ, after Christ? How far before or after? Things like that. So there are lots of questions about context. Context is important because if we don't have the proper context context, We can misinterpret passages of scripture, happens all the time. People say, well, this verse says such and such. And like, well, it may read that on the top, but when you look at the context of what's going on, it's a completely different message, popular in our culture today. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. People are like, so you can't tell me what to do. You have no authority over my life. That's not the context of that passage. I'm gonna leave that one for you to study on your own, right, we gotta keep moving on. So ask questions about context. Secondly, you move to content. What are the words? What do the sentences say? What are the truths or the principles that we see in here? What's the message that's being conveyed to this original audience in its context so that we can understand what's there? Where is this teaching fleshed out in other places in the Bible? Is this teaching fleshed out in other places of the Bible? If you arrive at something and go, hmm. I've never really heard anybody talk about that. I've actually heard the opposite of that. You probably have arrived at a wrong interpretation. Okay, so how does it fit with the rest of the Bible? And also, how does it fit with what's before and after that passage? What's the flow? How does it tie into those things? And then finally, we move to this. Let's consider. Once you've had the context, the content, and then you consider what does this mean? How do I apply this to my life? Am I living this out? Am I falling short? How do I need to change things to come in line with it? We ask all kinds of questions to consider how we put this into practice, what it means for us in our day, in our context and situation. One word of caution, we do not ask this question, what does the text mean to me? We do ask, what does the text mean, but what does it not, what does it mean to me? Because that would put each of us as the authority over scripture. And here's the thing, God gave us his word and he meant something when he gave us his word. And each text and passage has only one meaning. God knew what he wanted to say when he said it in his word. Now, We may disagree on those interpretations, and good godly scholarly people may disagree. When we get to heaven one day, we can finally determine who was right in those passages. And it's going to be inappropriate to spike in and do a little dance and go, see, I told you I was right. But, you know, there's one meaning to a text, not what does it mean to me, but what does it mean? Okay, so make that, that distinction very clear in our minds. So we have these three questions, it's a framework, and then you need some tools. Now here's the, the the secret sauce. This is pulling back the curtains for, you know, pastors and teachers. These are the tools and the resources. Have you ever been in a situation where the pastor is preached and taught through and you're like, how does he see all that stuff in there? I'm reading the same verses and I didn't see that. I didn't know that. Where, where do you get this information? Well, there are tools, there are resources that can help you in this journey and in this study. And, to complete any project, you need the right tools. Like if you're gonna redo your landscaping and you show up with a, with a socket set and, and a drill and a wrench, you're not gonna get very far in your landscaping project, right? And likewise, if your wife says, hey, I need you to hang a picture and you show up with a wheelbarrow and a shovel, she's gonna give you the look, right? What are you doing? That's, that's the wrong stuff, we need the right tools. And so I wanna give you a basic toolbox here very quickly of some Bible study tools. Number one, a study Bible. Get a study Bible. And I brought these to show you, you're like, what is a big stack of books? This is what I used in getting ready for this week. A study Bible is a Bible that's got an introduction to every book of the Bible, has some footnotes to kind of give you a brief explanation. A good study Bible is a great place to get started. A Bible dictionary is a dictionary that has Bible stuff in it, just like a dictionary you're familiar with, but it's biblical topics, people, places, all that sort of stuff. A concordance get an exhaustive concordance. An exhaustive means it has every word of every book of the Bible in alphabetical order. So you could go and look up the word love and you could see every place the word love is used in the Bible and the scripture reference. Quick note here, especially to men in the room, if you're going to use a concordance, the first eight to ten times you do it, read the how to use this book section at the beginning. Because you're going to open it up and be like, what do these words mean? And what are these letters in parentheses and these numbers understand how to use that book. And then the last thing is a commentary or a set of commentaries. It's a single book written for a single book of the Bible. This one's on the book of Galatians that we're studying today. And you can buy single books or you can get one for the whole Bible. If you want to check those out, come and see some of our staff, check some out in our library before you go buy a whole set, things like that. And you're like, dude, I'm not carrying that stuff around. Are you kidding me? I got back issues. There's no way I'm carrying that. Here's a good online resource for you. I'm not a paid spokesperson. I don't get a kickback from this, but olivetree.com is an online resource that lets you build a digital library of Bible study tools. You can create an account, log in on computer, tablet, iPhone, whatever. You purchase resources like this and they're available to you forever in the cloud. You can highlight, copy paste, do whatever, study the stuff that's there. So it's a good help for you. Okay, so there we're set up. Taking these tools and these resources, We move into Galatians chapter four, starting in verse 21. Step number one, studying the Bible. I always encourage people read the text three times and take notes yourself before you consult any study tool. Why would I say that? Because of this, you have the most incredible resource known to man living and dwelling within you in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit will guide you and teach you and instruct you. And before you look at what anyone else has to say about the topic, you need to hear from God. Lord, what do you want me to see in this passage? What do I need to understand? What does this passage mean? And how should my life be shaped and molded in response to it? So three times to get yourself familiar, read through with it and just let the Holy Spirit guide you. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna read through Galatians chapter four. We're gonna read this passage today and I'm going to kind of ask a few questions as we go through similar to what you would do do in studying and these questions, I'm just kind of coming from a viewpoint if you don't know anything about the Bible, the Bible history, people, things like that would be questions that you may jot down in your study so that you could then go to the resources. So Galatians chapter four, verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? It's a rhetorical question. It's like if you're under the law, you listen to it. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham, a question would be, who is Abraham? You could take a Bible dictionary, go to Abraham. You're going to read a lot of information about him. He's an important person in the Bible. Abraham had two sons. Well, who were his two sons? One was by a slave woman and one was by a free woman. So we have two different women here who bore Abraham's sons. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. That's one of those verses you're like, what what does that mean? Of the flesh, of a promise? Was it not of the flesh if it was of the promise? Is it not a, is like a supernatural conception here? These are questions we're going to need to answer. It says in verse uh, 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. So what's an allegory? these women are two covenants. What is a covenant? We know that there are at least two. Apparently, are there more than two covenants? One is from Mount Sinai. Where is that? What is that? Why would that be important? Bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. So, you're like, okay, there's going to need to be some interpretation there because there was this woman and then she's a mountain. Is that, what is that about? You know, that's not polite to talk about with different stuff. So, what's going on here that Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which is present Jerusalem. But then look at verse 26 in contrast, but the Jerusalem above is free. So, now there's two Jerusalems, the present Jerusalem and the Jerusalem above, and she... Is our mother, which she's apparently different from the other mother that was mentioned. For it is written, well, where was it written? And you notice that this looks different in your Bible. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. So it sounds like there's rejoicing over not being able to have children. Well, why would that be the case? And then it says, For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So the one who can't bear children is gonna have more kids than the one who's married and can have kids. Well, how would that happen? The sword adoption, we kind of maybe would get the concept that's a possibility, is that what this is talking about here? We'll look at it in a moment. Verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac. Okay, so here's finally the name of one of the sons, are children of promise. So we as Christians, if we're brothers here, our children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So persecution was happening then, it's happening to the Galatians apparently, but what does the scripture say? And where does the scripture say this? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And here's what Paul's trying to drive at. This is his closing point in this section, his last sentence on this area. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Did you guys get all that? Easy peasy, right? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Okay, so let's let's back this up and let's walk through our steps here. What's the context? of this passage. What's going on in the book of Galatians? If you've been here the last month, Pastor Davis told us this, the apostle Paul went on a missionary journey, going city to city, went to Galatia. He preached the gospel and people responded to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They were saved by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. Well, then some Judaizers came in and said, oh, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you really wanna show your holiness and your righteousness and show God that you truly love him, you need to keep the Jewish law at the temple, the dietary laws, the cleanliness laws. You have to keep all of these laws to demonstrate your new faith in Jesus. Paul hears about this and writes a letter since he couldn't get on a plane and go back and re-clarify this in Galatia. Paul writes a letter and says, that's not true. You don't have to follow the law. You've been set free from the law. You are saved by grace through faith alone, justified in that, not by works the law is insufficient to save. And that's what Paul has been writing about over and over and over again in the book of Galatians. And so now here, Paul tries to give them another way of thinking about this and he gives a word picture or an illustration. Like maybe an illustration will help. I've been telling you this, but now let me give you a picture. Let me give you a story that you're gonna be familiar with. And part of the context is he tells the account of Abraham his wife Sarah, Sarah's servant Hagar, and the two sons that were born to them. And the passage reference here is Genesis 16 and 17 and Genesis 21. So you could go back, read those passages to understand, but here's a very brief summary. Abraham at the age of 75 was called by God to come to a new land. And God said, I'm choosing you and through you, my chosen people will begin. It wasn't because of Abraham's merit. He wasn't deserving. There wasn't something intrinsic. It was totally by God's grace and His mercy and His favor that He selected Abraham to be the father of his children, the nation of Israel. Abraham was 75 years old when this promise happened and he had no children with his wife, Sarah. So to have descendants, you kind of need at least one actual heir. Promise came at 75. At 86, 11 years later, Abraham still has no child by Sarah. Sarah said, maybe we misinterpreted something. Maybe we need to kind of do a different plan here. Why don't you take my servant, Hagar, who's a concubine. You go in and be with her. Maybe God will give her a child that will be your descendant under my umbrella. So Abraham did this and a child was born. His name was Ishmael. Well, Hagar, the servant, began to taunt Sarah, her master, saying, ha ha, I had a kid, you didn't have a kid, Uh, my son's going to be the heir the descendant. Sarah gets frustrated, sends Hagar off into the wilderness to fend for herself and possibly die. God shows up, says to Hagar, I see you, I understand your situation, I'm going to make your son a great nation as well. Go back to Sarah and Abraham and live under their submission, which she does. At the age of 100 years, Abraham and his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, lots of questions there, 190, they did indeed have a son whose name was Isaac, which means laughter. Because when God came to Abraham at 99 and said, now's the time for you to have a son, you know what Abraham did? He laughed, just like Sarah laughed. It was like, yeah, we're way past those years. But God had promised a child, and that child was born in a miraculous way because they were well past the childbearing years. So Paul uses this story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar and the two sons that were born, Ishmael and Isaac, to say to the Christians in Galatia, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not through works. And so as we look at the content, we pick up a couple of things here to consider as applications, and I want to walk through these with you first. Ishmael and Isaac are illustrations of works-based salvation versus the gospel. Paul said this is an allegory. You're like, okay, we got to define what is an allegory. An allegory by definition is a story, a poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Now, unfortunately, English and the original Greek that we're studying here, over the centuries, word meanings have changed. Most often, we think of an allegory as being a fictional story that has truths or principles to it. But in this instance, God led Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to use an actual story that way. But be warned, we can't translate all of the Bible allegorically people have tried. They're like, oh, well, this is the story. Well, here's what that really means. And they have this secret knowledge and this secret insight. Most of the Bible translated at face value unless it is intended in this way. And so Paul under a supernatural prompting of the Holy Spirit does this. Here's the word he used. Let's kind of do a little word study here. You use your concordance, kind of get in allegory in Greek is the combination of two words. It's the word other and the word to speak in place of assembly publicly. So, as someone who's speaking like I'm doing to you now, telling something, but the words that I'm saying have an other, a different meaning or explanation of what's happening. So, he tells the story of these ladies to be able to give the Galatians a deeper meaning, a better understanding of this truth he's teaching to us. One thing being taught under the image or picture of another. And the picture is very, very simple. Ishmael. Was the child conceived out of flesh, meaning human will and decision? Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar made a decision and said, This must be what God wants. This is what we are going to do. And so they made a decision of their works, of their human will, what they could control. We're going to respond in this way. And a child was born. And Paul went on to say that. Hagar represents Mount Sinai, which is where Moses gave the 10 commandments to the Israelites, which was the introduction of the law. Keep these 10 commandments and you can be in a right relationship with God. And so the law then transformed into Judaism, which was the present Jerusalem Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 4. So people are like, well, we just keep the law. That's how we have a right relationship with God. Here's the problem. No one has ever been able to keep the law, even the Ten Commandments. Just think about them. You shall have no other God before me. Has there ever been a time and a situation in your life where your devotion, your affection has been greater for something other than God himself? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. One of the Ten Commandments is do not lie. Any of us ever walked down that path before? Yeah, we've been there. And the the Bible says that when we commit... We break one part of the law. We break the entire law. Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Like, oh, I'm good there. Well, when Jesus came in, he said that the 10 commandments say, don't commit adultery. But he says, but if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. So it's not just the action. It's the attitude. Do not murder. Oh, I'm way good right there. Well, Jesus again said, I say, if you're angry with your brother and you call him a fool, You've already committed murder in your heart. So Jesus is just reminding us, no one has ever kept the law in a way that made them good enough, righteous enough to have a relationship with God. We sin and we break the law. And by by accounts, we are separated from God because of that sin. That is the consequence, the penalty of sin. Paul says, that's Ishmael, that's Hagar, what we can do in our own human works. But he says, the child of promise, Now, Isaac was born naturally among human beings. He wasn't a supernatural conception as Jesus was, but he was a child of promise because Isaac only came into being because of God's miraculous work in Abraham and Sarah's life. They were well past the child rearing years. I mean, can you imagine coming home after that pregnancy test? Uh, Abraham, we got to talk, right? This is the the promise, and in salvation, God saves us in spite of ourselves. We don't do anything to earn the gospel. We can't. We are lawbreakers, transgressors, sinners is what the Bible calls us, yet we are still saved because of God's grace and mercy, just as Isaac was born by God's grace and mercy to Abraham and to Sarah. So here's what we consider Something for you to think about. Are you fully trusting in God in your own life? Abraham had this moment. He had been promised all of these sort of things. 11 years later, maybe I missed something. I'm going to kind of make my own decisions in this. Have you surrendered and and turned over authority and leadership in every area of your life to God himself? Are you still holding on to some things going, man, I just have a hard time letting this go. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's raising children. I don't know what it may be, but we're tempted as human beings in the flesh to hold on and control things rather than releasing them and turning them over to God. So are you fully trusting in God in every area of your life? Secondly, are you trusting in Jesus alone for salvation? Or are you really depending upon your works or being good enough or, or being whatever the case may be? You know, are you trusting in Jesus alone for salvation? A second thing we see from the passage for us to consider because of the content that's there is that we should separate ourselves from sin. Separate yourself from sin. Paul talked about two covenants. I mentioned that a covenant is a formal agreement. There are multiple in the scripture. What Paul's talking about here is the, the old covenant under the law that we were supposed to keep the law. If we didn't, animals were given as sacrifices. And then the new covenant through Jesus, that Jesus became the sacrifice. And just as in uh, a salvation, we talked about the, the promise of Isaac being born. We believe in Jesus' life his death and his resurrection. And that belief, that faith in Jesus is what saves us, not taking animals to the temple, the present Jerusalem Paul talked about, but it's the new Jerusalem. It's the Jerusalem of heaven as God makes all things right and new and restores them to the beginning account in creation when we were in perfection. But we need to separate ourselves from sin. And so Paul talks about this slave woman being cast out. There's this separation from sin that should take place because we as humans are tempted to be drawn back into the flesh and the ways of the world and the, sin, the sinful systems of the world. But Paul tells us to live by the spirit, live by grace under Christ. Romans 7, Paul says, the good I want, I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I hate, that I keep on doing. There is this struggle. And we see this in this passage. Ishmael and Isaac, Abraham fathered two nations, the Arab nation and the nation of Israel. Has there been a little bit of war and conflict between those two nations for, oh, say, 4,000 years? There has been. There's this struggle that's there. We have this struggle, this war between our flesh and the Holy Spirit of God. We must separate ourselves from that sin. How seriously should we deal with our sin? Here's what Jesus said. If your right hand causes you to sin, what does he say? Cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. We must take sin seriously. And first, we take it seriously by going to Jesus and are forgiven of that sin at the cross of Calvary. But secondly, we do everything that we can through the power of the Holy Spirit and safeguards he leads in our life to avoid sin in our lives. So consider this. Are you dealing seriously? Are you dealing relentlessly and ruthlessly with sin in your life? Or are you leaving the door cracked just a little bit, flirting with it, seeking opportunities to to justify your sin when you step over that line and you cross that line into sinfulness? Are you walking daily with Christ to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit, the idea is something that we clearly understand when something is filled with one thing, there's not much room for anything else to get in. So as we're daily filled with the Holy Spirit, there's less room and opportunity for Satan to bring sin into our life and temptation that gives full bore to sin. And then finally, we, we consider, we think about this, we see in the passage, the gospel brings persecution, Paul said that the son born of the flesh persecuted the son born of the promise just as it is at this time. It was true in Galatia and church. We're seeing it happen more and more in today's culture in America. Now, there's a persecuted church around the world that, that has been persecuted for decades, but we've been very, very sheltered and shielded from it in America. But I'm afraid those times are changing Are we ready for that? The New Testament believers, the book of Acts, they faced persecution. When they faced persecution, you know what we see them doing? Rejoicing and celebrating and saying, Lord, thank you that we were persecuted for the gospel. Give us boldness and strength and courage to stand even more prominently for the gospel. Church, are we ready to take that stand for the gospel? Pastor Jason talked a few minutes ago about our service being together and for us to to be unified in the body. We need one another because the world is growing increasingly intolerant and impatient with believers, with Christianity and everything that, that believes and holds to a biblical worldview. So consider, are you ready for the coming persecution? We must be grounded in Christ, grounded in his word, and stand on that truth. The apostles persecuted in the book of Acts, when challenged to recant, to turn away, they said, we must obey God rather than men. So there's Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31 in a fly over understanding context, content, consider. You can do that exact process in your own faith journey, your own walk with the Christ. And my hope and my prayer is that you will begin to do that. And I believe this with every fiber of my being, God will do things in you and through you and show you things and reveal things to you that you never thought possible if you will just submit yourself under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to dig in, to prayerfully consider and say, Lord, what would you have me see? There is so much there for us to see and to understand, but most importantly, to apply to our lives. And right now, Paul used an illustration, an object lesson to teach about the gospel and to not follow works of salvation, but to be saved just through the saving uh, power of, of Jesus Christ we too are going to participate in an object lesson that reminds us of these truths. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to enter into a time of reflection. Two things in this time of reflection. First, if you are an unbeliever and you are here and you've been trusting in works, your goodness, anything that you may be able to do to be saved, it is not enough. The Bible says our works, our efforts at salvation are like filthy rags. There's no bargaining power in our works, none whatsoever. And if you have never placed your faith and your, tr- your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you never responded to the gospel, there will be pastors available on the side of the room. During our time of response, we're gonna have a time of quiet reflection. You can come and speak to these pastors. We would love to talk with you about placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But for believers here, Paul tells believers that before we receive the Lord's Supper, we should spend time prayerfully reflecting upon our sin and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to cleanse us through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And so during this time of reflection, if you're a believer here today, I want you to just prayerfully say, Lord, what in my life is not reflecting you? What's not bringing honor? Or God, show me sin that I need to deal with through Jesus' death, and then Lord, show me and help lead me into ways to protect and deal seriously with this sin in my life. Let's evaluate ourselves as believers in this time of reflection. After we've had time to pray, Pastor Tyler is gonna lead us into the Lord's Supper and our response in that. But if you're not a believer today, wanna speak to a pastor, come do that. Believers, time in reflection and confession today, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to cleanse you and help you deal with your sin through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, your word says that every part of scripture is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking and training in righteousness. And God, I thank you that that word is true. I confess, I opened up this passage and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I'm not sure where we're going to go with this. And Lord, we just scratched the surface. There are so many things that could be said about these 10 verses and Lord, it is that way in every verse, every passage, every chapter, every book of your word that you have given us. So God, I pray that you make us hungry students, of your word. Yes, Lord, we need to grow. We need to mature. Uh, Paul gives the analogy that we start out as, as new believers on spiritual milk, but we grow into the meat of the word. And so God, there is a progression. There is a process that I pray that you will help us grow and mature in as we seek you. Lord, may you be true to your word and may you find us. Lord, now as we turn our thoughts to response, Lord, both in this service, but if there's any here who doesn't know you, I pray that they've been convicted of that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they understand and recognize their need for you, and that, Father, they can only be saved through Jesus. And I pray that they respond to that today. But, God, for believers in this room, help us deal with sin in our lives, where we're failing to, to represent and honor and reflect you like we need to in this world where you've placed us in the environments where you've called us. God, convict us of those things, forgive us of those things. And then God, I pray that in addition to the response in this room, that God, you lead us and you show us our response as we leave this place today. Because God, Paul shared this message with the Galatians so that they would be strengthened and encouraged in their walk with Christ, so that they would be bold witnesses in the city where they were to share the goodness and the good news of Jesus. And God, you have called us to that same activity today. So may we respond in that obedience. Lord, we give ourselves and we give this time to you. In a time of reflection, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to respond, pastors are available. Believers, ask the Holy Spirit of God to search you this time.